in the course of my journalism career. BTK was the biggest case I ever covered, and by the end, he had murdered 10 innocent victims in Wichita, Kansas. Two of them were children. By 2004, the BTK killings had been unsolved for 30 years. We followed every kind of lead, and it just didn't go anywhere. It was becoming frustrating. The last time BTK corresponded with the media was 1979. We as a community thought he's dead. No one would ever dream that he was still living and breathing in Wichita, Kansas. And then, in January 2004, the Wichita Eagle newspaper ran this little anniversary story of his first murders, where he killed four members of a single family. And then something shocking happened. This morning, Wichita, Kansas is waking up to a nightmare it thought was over. BTK is resurfaced after 25 years of silence. He's back. BTK started re-communicating with the media. And if you lived here in the 70s and 80s, that's scary. That's the boogeyman back. Presented by the good people at the Podbelly Network. My fellow Americans, we are fortunate to be alive. They need them to protect us from the number one killer in history. Protect us from the central university. A study on the Like we always do about this time. Boom. All right, everybody. Welcome to episode 314 of the Art and Jacob Do America podcast. I'm your host in the place to be, Mr. Jacob P. And sitting right across from me is the Brown Recluse, Mr. Art Trail. Art, say hello to the millions. The millions. What the fuck is going on? 314, the pie day one. The pie episode. Mm. Guys, uh, go to cavemancoffee.com. Check out their entire inventory. They got the coffee beans. They got the hibiscus tea. They got the cacao butter. They got everything your heart desires. Sweatpants, hats. Use promo code AMERICA at checkout to receive 15% off. Take a picture of yourself wearing the hats, drinking the coffee, the nitro cold brews, the hibiscus tea. Tag us. Tag them. They appreciate it. We appreciate it. Again, use promo code AMERICA at checkout to receive that 15% off. Yes, and speaking of sponsors, guys, I need everyone, everyone to head on over to superapparel.com where the great and powerful Nicole Smith-Bosch has put together an illustrious array of merchandise for your consumption pleasure. So head on over there, find everything that you want, love, and desire, uh, and maybe pick up something for somebody that you want, love, or desire. Or desire. Yes, and uh, before you hit checkout, guys, I need you to enter promo code Art and Jacob. And the great and powerful Nicole will give you 10% off your entire purchase. But Art, we're not here to talk about caveman coffee and 
Super Apparel, all the live long day. Art, what are we here to talk about? Guys, this is the part two episode of the BTK Killer. If you have not heard part one, guys, go to caveman. Oh, go to caveman. <laughs> go to caveman.com. <laughs> go to cavemancoffee.com and tell them you guys need to do some BTK merch on this bitch. <laughs> uh, no, but go check out. Go to uh, like Podbelly or wherever you stream it from. Uh, iTunes. Apple Music or, or just go one episode back from however you're listening to this yeah, one. Spotify. Yeah, Spotify. Or however you find your podcast. Pocket Cast. Like, what What the fuck else, ever else you listen to Pocket Cast? I don't, I don't know. Whatever. Isn't it like Apple Music is now podcast? Like, they call themselves just the podcast app or something? Probably. Apple Podcast. Yeah. So, however you go, just go one episode back. That's episode one. Listen to that one first. That way you get the uh, you get the accoutrement before the, the uh, big, you know, final reveal. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this is part two. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Rader, uh, we talked about him a little bit last week. We got to know him. We got to know his his origins. We got to know some of his uh, killing patterns. And mm-hmm. then today we continue with uh, where we left off. Yeah. So uh, just to put a pin in where we left off last, I believe we left off with the murder of Nancy Fox, as well as communications with you know a couple of poems uh, that he wrote in 1978. Uh, but I think it's important to uh, point out before we continue on our path about BTK is uh, during the time uh, that he started killing. So about the time that, you know, the Otero murders occur, uh, he actually gets a job at ADT, which we kind of briefly mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, you know, last week. But uh, this week we, we should make it a point to point out that uh, he gets this job right after the Otero murders, and he becomes an installation manager. So he's actually going to these homes uh, that are installing security <laughs> uh, <laughs> devices uh, and scoping, finding ways to scope out houses, you know, their vulnerable spots, as well as he's getting off on the fact that these people are afraid of the BTK Oh, absolutely. Killer. Business is booming because of him. Mm-hmm. He's basically like... I don't know, pretty good business strategy. Yeah. Become a murderer, a serial killer, and then uh, sell people on the safety on how to secure themselves from from serial killers. And not only that, he knows which houses not to go into because <laughs> yeah. they got a security system that he helped install or, or whatnot. So it's just like it is kind of a, I hate to give him credit for this, a brilliant move, and it also helps with his stocking because, again, like I said last week, uh, part of his sexual fantasy wasn't just, you know, binding, torture, and murdering people. You know, that's not also how he got off. He also got off just on being able to stalk people. So this allowed him to enter into homes, mm-hmm. carry around his little folders, and have his little jack-off sessions in his treehouse, uh-huh. if you will. Uh, it's also important to note, too, at this same time, he was attending Wichita State University getting a degree in criminal justice. So he's actually getting educated yeah. on the criminal justice system. Uh, also, too, on a personal note, in 1975, his son is born, and at the end of uh, 1978, his daughter is born. So about the time that we left off last week, he's got a three-year-old and a newborn baby on the way. So he's got a whole bunch of stuff uh, uh, going on in his life. Very stressful. You're graduating college uh, in 1979. Uh, he's got a very demanding job, as well as he's raising two young children, which I know from experience can be a lot. So uh, this part of the episode, uh, people usually 
when I listen to podcasts, this is where they describe his hiatus period. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't so much a hiatus as it was just kind of a slump uh, because in April of 1979, uh, he actually attempts to bind, torture, and kill a Miss Anna Williams, age 63. He actually breaks into the home, cuts the cord, waits in the kitchen, eats a bowl of cereal, you know, because it's a bad serial killer joke if you yeah. know whatnot. That's his whole thing is like bad puns. He's a yeah. bad pun guy. Yeah, and if you take look at a picture of him, he just like he does not look like a funny Dude, guy. There's a funny picture of him where he's in court and the cop behind him looks just like him, <laughs> which tells you like how fucking like bland. Like he just like stereotypical male pattern baldness has glasses, the mustache. Like he just d- looks kind of like you know like. The fucking like Jehovah Witness looking <laughs> motherfucker. Like he just looks like that kind of guy. Like if that dude showed up, tell, giving you like what are those Jehovah Witness pamphlets called? Like Watchtower. Watchtower. Yeah, yeah. Like, he sh- he looks like the kind of guy that shows up with like Watchtower magazines on like while you're trying to watch the fucking like football game. It's like fuck, mm-hmm. dude. It's fucking Sunday night football. Why are you knocking on my door? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, he breaks into Anna Williams's home, uh, waits for a few hours, gets frustrated, and leaves. Uh, because he knows her schedule and she's not abiding by the rules. Uh, and luckily for Anna Williams, who I guess was just recently widowed, uh, she was trying to get herself out in the world. I believe she was uh, with her daughter. I think they went to a bowling alley or something. I guess there's not that much to do in Wichita because bowling alleys are a theme yeah. <laughs> here. Uh, but goes to a bowling alley. Uh, bowling underrated, though, just want to say. Oh, just okay. want to put it out there. Yeah. Bowling's pretty underrated. Yeah, I need to do that. I've only done that one time. In You've my only life. done you only bowled once in your life, dude. Just just fucking go do it, dude. Let go. Just dude. just let go, dude. Get Archie involved in that. <laughs> like they have like those little assist ones for kids. Oh where, really? Like, they rolls the ball down for them, whatever, because they don't obviously don't have the strength to swing it. But like, it's pretty fucking underrated, dude. I I, I actually have a glow in the dark ball that I like. You know, <laughs> like I show up, I'm ready to roll, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Got your like custom made fucking hand. Don't have glove. a don't have a glove. I've never gone that intense with it, but I thought about joining a bowling league once. But oh, anyway, damn, thought about it. I'm not that good though. I might be the weakest link. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, uh, she escapes uh, because she was bowling. She was having fun doing the assisted bowling with yeah. her daughter or whatnot. Uh-huh. Uh, gets home late, uh, and then BTK he sends out two identical letters: one to Anna and one to his friends over at Cake TV. Uh, basically, it's a poem uh, titled, Oh, Anna, Why Didn't You Appear? Uh, and this is also, too, where people start to notice where he, we mentioned Zodiac last week, yeah. where he starts to enter in, like, little clues and whatnot, right? And he starts to let her off with the word tw- tis, which is, like, T-apostrophe-I-S or twas or whatnot, right? Uh-huh. To be all, like, you know, weird and stuff. Uh, but instead of having it be an apostrophe, that it's T-1, so uh, when researchers looked at it, it's usually T one, T two. That's usually to annotate like the beginning of research. So it was an indication that he was at the beginning stages of his stalking and trolling of a Miss Anna Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, uh, it's also about this time uh, that the police release. Uh, the phone call uh, that he made uh, in regards to Nancy Fox, letting him know, you know, where the body could be found. And they end up getting 110 tips. Yeah. And from this point up until 1985, we don't hear from BTK again after. So, you know, one of the things that he does do that's kind of creepy is doesn't he take like a scarf or something from her? 
and then mail it back to her and like he says something like you should you're glad you should be happy you weren't home or something like that correct it's like man that that is pretty fucking scumbag like yeah and then and then um also too um on that Oh shit! I just lost. <laughs> Talk about all that, but anyways, yeah. Oh, on that, yeah. No, she gets freaked out. You know, Anna Williams, as rightfully yeah, she oh, would. Yeah, I'd get freaked out if somebody like fucking stole my chonies and like <laughs> mailed them back to me. And she leaves. She goes. She leaves out of state. She, like she just. She's like she books it. She gets the fuck out of Wichita. Yeah, uh, I don't blame her, dude. Yeah. So uh, in 1984, yeah, again, BTK is silent as could be, uh, but the local police in Wichita actually get gets a grant from the federal government and they're able to hire on six full-time officers uh to full fully just investigate just that's your whole job is just to investigate this one case we'll send you off to the fbi train you on how to you know you know do proper investigations not you know some small town investigations so you're getting you know the creme de la creme of uh training as far as you know you know criminal justice and police work Uh, and they actually give themselves, their crew, <laughs> uh, a team name, which is the Ghostbusters. But then the one that I thought funny, too, is their secondary name was the Hot Dog Squad. <laughs> I did not see that, but I did see the Ghostbusters, which is like, you know they're fucking, like, nerds, like, trying to, like, trying to be cool. Like hey, that's, I'll be Egon. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, like, bowling things, that's such a, like, bowling team name. It's like, yeah. we're the Ghostbusters. Because <laughs> they think it sounds cool, but really, like, everyone's laughing behind your back. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly that. Like, dead on. Could not be. And the funny thing about this is, like, to think back at this, like, there was already, you know that show, Mindhunter? Like, there was already that happening. You know, there were criminal profilings happening. They were, you know, Manson had already been caught at this point. Like, just massive serial killers were already starting to get caught. Uh, Son of Sam had already been caught at this point. Like just the, the criminal profiling game was getting better and better and better, but somehow BTK kept eluding these guys. And a lot of it was because there was a lot of BTK was, I, I don't know. I don't know if he was just so egocentric that like his clues were just so dumb. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe you could say the same thing about Zodiac, but like, some of those clues, like putting the little one on there, it's just like, come on, dude. Like, yeah. Like, nerd. Yeah. It was like pretty like lame nerd like clues that he kept putting mm-hmm. out there. Like, not that, not that interesting. But dude. it did throw them off. It did. Yeah. Yeah. So the the investigation um, for this part lasted three years, and during their investigation, you know, they did DNA analysis, computer database analysis, as well as psychological profiles. Uh, in 1983, uh, they were able to collect 200 blood samples, uh, and those d- that DNA, they were able to uh, look at these individuals uh, and all the suspects and compare it to the DNA that they had from the Otero murder uh, when he, you know, jacked off on, you know, I believe it was Josephine's uh, yeah. legs and whatnot, right? Um, but, you know, they weren't able to find a conclusive match, which will come into a uh, play later on. Uh, however, one thing that they were able to find is the actual ink that was used in some of the letters that he sent in 1978 uh, was very specific to a Xerox uh, copier, uh, which was only located in uh, Wichita, Wichita State University and the public library. So when they got the letters, uh, you know, they were copies of the, the original letter. So they he wasn't sending in the original. Uh, so they were able to contact the Xerox company and they f- were able to trace that, you know, hey, this ink only exists in these two places in Wichita. And this is where you get 
that the profile for BTK was some student at Wichita State University. So they were able to conjure up 225 suspects um, who were within proximity of the murder. So all of these murders occurred in Wichita. And if you go to uh, Murderpedia, they actually have a map drawn out. And it's a very small area in which he like selects these individuals. So they all kind of live like in the same proximity. So they they narrowed it down. It was probably a college student. They weren't thinking it was an older college student like yeah. Dennis, but they were thinking like somebody like in their 20s and whatnot. Uh, but anyways, the investigation ends uh, with a no conclusive suspect. And um, the hot dog squad is for all intents and purposes considered somewhat of a failure, but they did a lot of important groundwork, which would later uh, go into effect uh, when they actually do capture BTK later on. Yeah. Now, uh, like we said earlier, uh, BTK uh, was dormant for quite some time, uh, but he pops up again, April 27th or 28th of 1985 uh, when his neighbor, Maureen Hedge, age 53, uh, she uh, comes up missing, and um, this was actually somebody that he was scouting for quite some time. Dude, like I said, this was his neighbor from down the street. This one was like super sad, um, just because like she was fifty three years old, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I, I, she gets home from like a, a a night of like dinner with and bingo with her boyfriend. Like, yeah. that to me is just like you know, <laughs> when you're young, when you're like in your 20s like and you're going on like lame dates it's one thing but like she's older like i bet that's like the highlight of her month or month, year like, yeah. oh we got bingo we we made it to golden corral or whatever you know like <laughs> applebee's it was just like and then to be like this dickhead to like go fucking like murder her it's like what a fucking monster dude and i'm not saying that the the little girl in early years wasn't like already monster, but this is just like yeah. This guy's just the disgust. Like all of his murders are like disgust. Like there's no Jack the Ripper style cool murder. <laughs> and I'm not saying like there is something whether people want to admit it or not. Like the Jack the Ripper murders were like that was badass. This guy's like cutting people up in like in a pretty cinematic, you know, the movie Seven style kind of ways. So like this is just like, dude, you're fucking just picking on like yeah, this is o- heartbreaking, older women yeah. and like ch- children. It's like, get out of here, dude. Yeah. So uh, he had been stalking and trolling her for quite some time. And he said it was easy uh, because he just lived down the street from her. So he was able to keep tabs on her relatively e- easily. Uh, and like Art said, you know, she went out on a date with her boyfriend and whatnot. Uh, but it's fucked up because... Dennis was actually in the middle of a scout meeting or a scout Cub Scout camping trip. Says that he has a headache and needs to go home and take some fucking Motrin IB or whatever the fuck yeah. he's going to take for his headache and whatnot, right? So he leaves uh, this group of scouts out in the middle of the woods by themselves, already fucked up or whatever, heads to a bowling alley, orders a beer, sloshes it around in his mouth and like just rubs it all over his body to give the appearance that he was drunk, uh, hails a taxi, uh, and pretends like he's drunk and says, oh, man, like, you need to just let me off right here. Like, I'm, my head is spinning or whatever, right? Just let me here, and I'll just walk home or whatever, right? Uh, walks to his car that he had planted, changes his outfit, breaks into Marine's house, cuts the, cuts the telephone wire, eats a bowl of cereal, waits for her to get home, uh, sees her car there and thinks, like, oh, wait, she is not supposed to be home. Looks around in the house. She's not there. 
gets pissed because he's like, oh, shit, she must be with that guy, which is also a theme. Like, he gets very jealous of mm-hmm. other guys in people's lives. Waits in her closet, hears that she gets home, but waits until 1 a.m. till she's, like, fully, you know, in bed, asleep. Turns on the light in the bathroom, master bathroom, to her bedroom, and then jumps on her bed and just strangles her immediately. So you got to think, like, this is fucked up. Like Art said, she go, she comes home from having, like, the night of her life, the most innocent, lovely night of her life or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And doesn't even have enough time to, like, react to, you know, somebody just, like, jumping on her bed and strangling her to death or whatnot, right? Yeah. Fucked up enough as it is, but it gets worse. Wait, there is more. Just like fucking Shamwell. Uh, Strings was to death with, her, with his bare hands. Now, mind you, last episode I said that he had trouble killing the other family because his hands were too weak. Mm-hmm. Between that time and this time, he actually, his daughter said that he would sit for hours in his recliner uh, squeezing a stress ball. And what they assume is that he was trying to get his hands stronger so that he could strangle and kill people immediately with stronger hands. So what he does is he ties her up, rolls her in a blanket, uh, puts her in a trunk, and takes her to the Christ Lutheran Church, which he was president of yeah. uh, the Congregation Council. Uh, apparently he had uh, you know, tarps and bags and vines all ready to go hidden in the church because mm-hmm. uh, he had all this planned out. And he actually took sexually suggestive bondage pictures of her with this Polaroid, you know, would reposition her and like weird positions and stuff all tied up and bound, but she's already dead. And then what he does is he puts her back in the trunk, throws her in a ditch somewhere outside of town, uh, cleans up the church, uh, cleans himself up and whatnot, goes back to her house, steals her purse, her ID and a bunch of other items and then goes back and tries to have more of a sexual fantasy with her in the ditch, but at this time, like, her body, you know, is starting to, you know, go into rigor mortis and whatnot, so he leaves the body, goes back to the scout <laughs> scout unit, finishes his scout camping trip, leaves the body for a couple days, tries to go back and, you know, recreate, you know, more sexual fantasies, but just can't do it because the body's starting to decompose in this ditch outside of town and whatnot. It's stinking, it's nasty and whatnot. Yeah. So places like that weird fucking um, ceramic face mask over her mask can't get the job done so he puts it on himself and starts taking pictures of himself tied up in the ditch just to fulfill a sexual fantasy man and then this is one of those things I think he would go back and do that I think he was wasn't he on another boy scout trip the second time he went out there and I think the boy scouts were not that far away from where that ditch was and he talks about it later on where he's like, he's like, I'm tied up right here. I got a ditch of like a dying woman, woman and I'm wearing a mask and like dressed like a woman, like half naked in the woods. He's like the likelihood of like a, a Boy Scout walking by and catch me was pretty high. Yeah. But that was also part of his thrill. Like, oh, yeah. You know, like potentially getting caught by a Boy Scout type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, and like he would do that all the time. And his neighbor said that around this same time as well, he actually had this tree house where they would see him up there for hours, you know, going through pictures, uh, doing things like probably jacking off. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was weird because you, you assume that he made this tree house for his son, but he was the, using it for his own sexual gratification. That's the thing to me where it's like, okay, the wife, like how does his wife not ki- come in and be like, you know, Dennis, you've been up in that tree house a lot. 
Like, what's going on? Like, is there no communication? Like, what? Let me, like, you've been in a long term relationship. Like, what? Wouldn't that be an argument? Like, if like, hey, Jacob, he was going out to the fucking. He's been hanging out in the fucking garage now for a while oh, I now. I get yelled at if this podcast goes on for too long. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like I, I, that shit would not fly. Like, I, I don't know what kind of, like, his wife must have been so fucking, like, not, um, like, physically beaten down, but, like, emotionally beaten down to the point where, like, her voice in the relationship, like, matters so little type of thing. Which, when you listen to interviews with uh, the daughter, Carrie, she says, at the time, you know, because casually everyone says like they had like a storybook, you know, childhood and whatnot. Uh, but looking back on it, like he was so rigid and so, um, you know, a stickler for the rules. And I, she said even something like that, where like even like her mother was like emotionally being abused as well, where she he had her basically in check, where so much so where it was like a, a, a like Stockholm syndrome almost where it's just like, you know, it's just like, okay, this is, this is normal. This is normal to us, even though it was like emotional abuse. Yeah, no, I definitely believe that. I think every time people, every relationship, people's like, they were the storybook relationship. Like everybody from the outside looks great. You know, it's the, mm-hmm. the Instagram lifestyle. They show up to church together. They're holding hands they're in love or whatever. It's all that shitty thing that happens, like, all the arguments during dinner time that nobody sees. That's like, yeah, there ain't no fucking perfect, like... No. <laughs> like, yeah. Even the best relationships have, like, their wrinkles. So oh, I can yes. only imagine, like, when one partner is a fucking serial killer <laughs> that's, like, jerking off inside a tree the whole time. Like, yeah. Yeah. Probably more than meets the eye there. Yeah. So fast forward a little bit to September 16th, 1986, Mexican Independence Day, if yeah. you will. Uh, I believe last week uh, he did something <laughs> like on St. Patrick's Day. So he had like a, uh, a, uh, a st- he was a stickler for uh, weird holidays, if you will. Not weird. Not to say Mexican Independence Day is weird. But anyways, uh, his choice of dates is alarming. But anyways, um, September uh, 16th, 1986, uh, he's actually at work. He is with ADT at this time. He's cruising around. Uh, and he's revisiting one of his projects, uh, Miss Vicky Werley. Uh, and he decides, as a ruse, he would show up to her house dressed up as a telephone repairman. Uh, and he actually does all of this on his lunch hour. So all of this happens mm-hmm. and occurs within less than one hour. Because you got to assume, like, he has to clock out <laughs> for lunch, yeah. go around and drive to her house and whatnot, and then come back. Uh, changes into his hit clothes, uh, walks around the house, walks around the neighborhood, uh, to give the appearance that, you know, he's going around the neighborhood fixing the telephone lines and whatnot. And actually uh, hears her playing the piano and um, decides to call this one his uh, Project Piano. Um, so he, he knocks on her door and he says he's in the neighborhood fixing the phone lines and asks her if uh, he can come into the house and fix her phone line as well. Uh, so he goes into the house, plays around, like he's actually fixing the phone line. He actually pulls out tools from his hit kit, mm-hmm. which was a bowling bag. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and um, all of a sudden, uh, you know, turns on her and uh, tells her, draws a pistol on her and says, I need you to go to the bedroom. Repeats that line from last week saying that, you know, he has a sexual uh, fetish. A sexual problem. <laughs> yeah. Tells her everything like, hey, I'm just going to tie you up, do what I need to do, and I'll be on my way. Le- I'm on my way. So anyways, he ties her up. And mind you, she has a two-year-old son in the background. There's a dog barking also in the background as well. So he says that this kind of becomes another clusterfuck. As he ties her up, 
He goes around the house, you know, trying to find mementos and whatnot. She breaks free. They start to fight. She scratches them, gets all sorts of skin under her fingernails, which comes into play later on. And um, he has to basically beat her up and then ties her up with a nylon sock and, you know, chokes her out with that. Now, the thing about that is, is he leaves her on the floor, but she's not dead yet. But he's in such a hurry, you know, to clean up the crime scene, you know, to make sure the baby doesn't see his face and that the dog doesn't come out and bite his ass and whatnot, uh, that, you know, he doesn't, you know, finish the job. She's actually still uh, quasi mm-hmm. alive at this time. So he steals her car and he gets the fuck out of there, gets back to work, grabs some Taco Bell, I'm assuming, on the way because hmm. <laughs> his blood sugar is probably low at this level or whatnot, right? Uh, but the fucked up thing is, is uh, later on in the day, the husband actually comes home and he can't find his wife anywhere. He sees that the car is gone, but the baby's there, but she's gone as well. So he's like, what the hell? Did she just like go to the store real quick and you know just leave the baby here? So he's walking around the house and actually walks by the bedroom, doesn't see her there, because uh, I guess she's like behind or she's on the side of the bed where, you know, you can't see uh, her her body and whatnot. Walks around a few times and then actually finds her on the floor, still halfway alive, calls 911, and she actually dies on her way to the hospital. So, I mean, he, it, there's a chance that she would have lived uh, if the husband would have found her sooner and whatnot. So uh, this case kind of turns into a gone girl moment where actually the media actually thinks that the husband yeah. did this. That's pretty sad that the, that was suspect. Number one was the husband. It's like, you just lost your wife and now you're the number one suspect. Correct. And I was uh, listening to a podcast where when BTK actually gets caught, the sister for the husband is actually relieved because finally after 18 years, her brother is actually vindicated because even though there wasn't enough evidence to convict the husband, it's still like there was a, uh, a sour note that hung over his name for years because everyone in Wichita thought that he killed her. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty sad. Like all of his crimes are like fucking sad, dude. Like, yeah, the, I don't know if this is the next crime that you have on there, but this is the January 19th, 1991. Yeah. But where, well, before that though, uh, because of his doings on yeah. <laughs> his lunch break or whatnot, uh, he's actually missing his quota. So if you're um, out there murdering people like on your fucking lunch break, yeah. uh, you're <laughs> not meeting your quota. So in 1988, he gets actually fired from ADT, and um, he actually writes a letter to, after this, he actually writes a letter to the media trying to take, um, or somebody writes, something happens where he gets, BTK gets, uh, flagged for being uh, the murderer for the Fager family, uh, which was actually three members of the Fager family were murdered in Wichita. Uh, he has to actually write into Cake TV and tell him like, "Hey, I didn't do this one. I would have done it better, but I admired their work." Wow. Yeah. Did they ever find out who did that? Uh, I don't believe so. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, actually, no. Though there actually was. They they actually got some guy. Um, and he convicted him. Jeffrey Dahmer. It was Jeffrey Dahmer, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't write it down because <laughs> this is about BTK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, no. He actually goes into a depression uh, per his daughter, Carrie, <clears throat> between 1988. Because again, like you're college educated. You have this fancy you know, job. Uh, you have two kids. I guess at this time also his wife was in the hospital. So he was going through a rough depressive era from like 1988. Uh, he actually gets a job with the Census Bureau uh, in 1989. Uh, but that only lasts, you know, a few months. Uh, so he goes into this deep depression and they start to notice like changes in Dennis's personality. Uh, it wasn't until 
after what Art was about to say that they notice that he snaps out of it. Yeah, and then this is all the way now down in 1991. He finds this retired, another one, like just a retired woman, Dolores Davis. He basically, this one feels a little bit sloppy because the way he gets into this one, he basically just throws a brick through her through her door. Yeah. And it's just like, fuck it, we're doing this. Yeah. Basically just breaks in there, strangles her to death, does the whole bondage thing again with her, and it's it seems very sloppy. Like, this seems like, like, you know, Jordan on the Wizards. Like, it's yeah. just like, here we go. Like, he's just kind of going through the motions of, like, of, like, being his usual violent self. But I don't know. This is, this, it, it's, it fits his profile, but at the same time, it's kind of different than all the other ones because it's sloppy. Like, he's never just thrown a brick through the, through a glass door like that It's before. a little bit more calculated. It seems a little bit more desperate. Like yeah, it does seem desperate. Like he doesn't show up, like, dressed up like a postman or a milk, <laughs> man, milk delivery man or whatever. Like, yeah. he's just, fuck it, we're just throwing a brick through this one. Yeah, and the fucked up thing is is that uh, he drops her body off again. This is, like, when he starts to take the bodies out now or whatnot. Uh, drops her off under a bridge can't find his gun so he has to drive all the way back to her house actually finds the gun which what if the police would have got there you know before he did they would they would have literally found the smoking gun Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, but finds the gun cleans up you know takes some mementos and whatnot uh and then just you know goes about his day and after this murder this is when carrie said like everything started to change for him he starts to come out of his depression uh and then in may of 1991 he actually gets the next job where he would, you know, <laughs> that we mentioned last week, where he becomes a compliance officer uh, for the city of Wichita, which totally changes life around. And this is where he goes on an even longer hiatus. So from yeah. 1991 up until 2004, you don't hear anything about BTK. So much so that the media starts to think that, like, hey, he either died, got arrested for something else, or he moved on to another city, state, or country. Yeah, and then, you know, he had been around long enough at this point where, you know, he might have just aged out of it. Like, people were thinking, like, he died. Like Jacob said, must have been arrested, must have moved. But, and which happens with serial killers, like, we never saw the end of Zodiac. We never, you know, this was about to turn into another Zodiac. Uh, And his kids are getting older. But we mentioned a little bit last episode where we talked about him being a compliance officer. I think that even even when he was a compliance officer, a little bit of that, like, egocentric, like, being, like, ultra, you know... Controlling. Controlling. That was still coming through as a compliance officer, which maybe was enough for to satisfy his, like... Urges. Urges, right? Like, choking... He, like, chokes a dog at one point or something mm-hmm. like that, like... And, like, he releases a dog and, like, shoots a dog because, like, by law he could do that. Like, that's still very serial killer traits. Like, yeah. And last podcast on the left, they they made a good point to point out that like during this time period, yeah, human wise, he might have this you know the D- Dolores Davis that might have been his last like human murder, uh, but the daughter said like after he was arrested, you know they found a whole shed full of fucking dog leashes and collars that she knew didn't belong to their one little like you know scruffy puppy and whatnot. Uh, so oh, I believe it. So th- it's possible that you know this all just turned back into animal mutilation. I believe it. I did not know that. I actually didn't listen to the second last podcast in the left episode. Oh, really? But, but yeah, no, definitely fits that profile. There's this long gap between basically 1991 
to 2004. You know, basically missed all the fucking Jordan years, all the good <laughs> Jordan years. Maybe that's what gang- it was, dude. Like, he was just fucking... <laughs> He's like a big Bulls guy, dude. Yeah, yeah. The fucking gangster rap makes a thing. Corn, new metal pops up. He's like... He's just enjoying it, right? He's just, yeah. just enjoying life, dude. Like fucking I really follow enjoy, leader comes out. I really enjoy that part where Jonathan Davis <laughs> just starts scatting that um bop da boom da da diga. <laughs> yeah, like it's just like all this stuff is going on. You know, he was grieving through Kurt Cobain's death. You know, the Monica Lewinsky scandal is <laughs> happening. You know, like, OJ. He was mad about the OJ yeah, Simpson verdict. He's like, man, black man can't catch a break. He's just like, <laughs> you know, like all these things were just happening to him where it's just like, all right, fast forward. Last episode, I mentioned that I think something happened in, in this where I think it's more than just the Wichita Eagle run because the Wichita Eagle does run an article on there. But I believe in 2002, the movie Red Dragon comes out. The movie Red Dragon is heavily, well, well, obviously it's based on the book Red Dragon, but the book Red Dragon, the movie, is heavily based on the BTK murders. It's about a guy breaking into homes, taking out whole families. It, like, basically, I don't want to say, like, glorifies, but it makes BTK sound like, this like big monster of a man, which in the in the book it's this big monster of a man who's breaking into homes and like fulfills his sexual urges and all this stuff and like I could see how one he must have seen that movie, must have read the book. That comes out in two thousand two when the Wichita Eagle runs their article about BTK, the thirty year anniversary anniversary piece yeah this the ortero murders yeah yeah this to me it has to be a snowball of like oh this is fucking not to keep bringing up michael jordan but this is michael jordan coming out of retirement with Mm. his i'm back letter yeah this is him faxing it over to the bulls saying i'm back (laughs) like like you know he honestly could have gone 100% away with this oh, shit. Oh, 100%. But his ego got in the way. Yeah. And then also, too, like I was listening to another podcast this morning, and they were talking about how like there was some book by Court TV that was uh, coming out, and he read it, and he was so dissatisfied on how they covered the murders. Kind of like, you know, like when Ross gets pissed off at us for covering emo music or oh, whatever. Man, like, you guys man. aren't even fans of it. You shouldn't even be covering it. It was like one of those instances or like yeah. the Circleville letters where that one guy left yeah. a YouTube comment saying, you guys don't know Dip. Uh, he got <laughs> so mad that it wasn't covered properly or they were missing some kind of details that he actually starts to write letters. I guess it was 11 communications uh, to the media, mostly Cake TV, but also the Wichita Police Department, and I believe it was KSAS, Fox affiliate in uh-huh. Wichita as well. Uh, but this next part of the um, the story is more interesting than the actual other stuff that we just talked about. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, hold on, let me go down to my notes. Uh, are you referring to the March 2004 BTK announces his return? Yeah. So uh, basically what Art's talking about here is, in uh, again, <laughs> March 17th, 2004, again, 30 years to the date of one of the other murders. Uh, he actually sends a letter with a photocopy of Vicki we- Weggerly's driver's license, as well as three pictures uh, of her death, of her all tied up and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, and they knew this was BTK because the police did not have uh, crime scene photos because the ambulance took her body uh, to prevent that. Uh, it was also signed by a Bill Thomas Kilman. So when you put those <laughs> that monogram together, that says BTK. So 
a dumb little fucking uh, joke, joke again. He's the king of puns, dude. Yeah. So, again, I'm going to, you know, shotgun through some of these letters because they get a little bit uh, tedious. Uh, he sends another one on Cinco de Mayo. This Again, uh-huh. he has a he pension. He loves holidays. Yeah, yeah, Mexican and Irish ones, yeah. whatever, right? Uh, on May 5th, 2004, uh, he sends a letter to Cake TV, uh, and it's like some kind of word puzzle as well as an outline of his own fake biography called the BTK story. And there's like all sorts of missing chapters and whatnot. Uh, again, on uh, June uh, 9th, 2004, uh, he sends a letter to the police uh, detailing, you know, uh, the details of the Otero murders that were not previously revealed at that time. Uh, he also, um, this was found uh, taped to a stop sign. And this is where he starts to play like, you know, like almost like a scavenger hunt with yeah. you know, citizens of uh, Wichita. Uh, it was taped to the back of a stop sign. <coughs> and there was a sketch of, you know, somebody, you know, bound and uh, tortured. And uh, it, I, I don't want to give him too much credit, but a lot of his sketches are very detailed and they're actually pretty good. So, again, go to Murderpedia if you want to see these sketches and whatnot. Uh, but it's actually titled... Uh, my sexual thrill is my bill. And then um, fast forward to July 17th of 2004, uh, there was a package in the return slot at the Wichita Public Library uh, with what they call bizarre material. Um, Now, in that material, he actually has a false confession of killing a 19-year-old Jake Allen, which turns out to be false because it was ruled a suicide. Uh, but this is where you start to get, like, weird things, too, like where he starts to send Barbies that mimics, you know, uh, previous murders where they're uh, bound and tortured and tied up with plastic bags over their head. Uh, he starts to hide cereal boxes all over town uh, with little prizes in them, um, which I thought was Again, like that cereal bowl that he would leave in there, you know, kind of hinting that, like, he's a serial killer. Bad jokes, bad puns and whatnot, right? Uh, October 22nd, 2004, uh, a manila envelope is dropped off at the UP, into a UPS, UPX, UPS box. Uh, and on the 30th anniversary of the ver- first BTK communication, uh, and it's actually these trading cards that he drew up. Uh, with bondage of children and a poem threatening Lieutenant Lardwin. I'm not making up that name. That's a real name. <laughs> <laughs> and then in December 2004, a package was found in a park containing, again, you know, weird stuff like, you know, Barbies bound and tortured and whatnot. That kind of becomes his calling card for a while, the whole Barbies and cereal boxes and that sort of thing. And one was really disturbing, like the one where the, the Barbie was tied up to a pipe uh, to mimic the Josephine Otero, which I thought, like, that was super fucked up. Like, there was, like, why would, yeah. again, a child. Like, you yeah. know, like, that's... I'm sure horrible. he was... I'm sure that wasn't his first time doing that, though. Like, I'm sure when he was up in that treehouse jerking off, he was kind of recreating stuff like that. Yeah, stealing his daughter's Barbies and doing yeah. that shit, yeah. Uh, in that package, it was Nancy Fox's driver's license, as well as more edited chapters of his biography. <laughs> and... um one of the news station anchors notices that chapters 12 and 8 were missing, uh, and he surmises that it was because 12 and 8, that was a date of one of the murders. 
Um, I don't know. Um, again, this is him trying to be like Zodiac and putting messages in his uh, letters. Again, head to Murderpedia if you want to look at all these letters. Mm-hmm. Uh, January 2005. This is the one that gets him into trouble. Uh, he actually dumps a cereal box in a truck of an employee at the Home Depot. Uh, now, this employee actually throws this cereal box away, uh, and the media, as well as the public, they don't even know about this box and this clue until Raider sends a postcard to Cake TV asking about uh, this communication. So the police do this thorough scan of all employees saying like, hey, did you find anything suspicious like in your cars or in, the, in your trash or anything like that? And this was actually two weeks later. So by the grace of God, the employee who had the truck that Dennis Rader put that cereal box in, uh, he actually put it in his trash can but forgot to take out his trash the week before. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a slob, <laughs> dude. Yeah. <laughs> well, he works at the Home Depot. Yeah, he's like, fucking just, <laughs> Ben, when's the last time you took your trash out? My buddy Ben. Yeah. yeah every, every, every three weeks yeah. I take it out. There's no need to do it every yeah. week. Uh, but anyway, see, they dig through the trash, and they actually the police <laughs> actually find... Uh, this special K box where the special K was yeah. altered to show uh, his signature BTK plus bomb. Uh, but within that box, he also asks a le- has a letter in there asking, can floppy disks be traced? To which in, and I thought this was a weird way to communicate, but I guess. In I, the- it's not a weird way to communicate because that's how they communicate in um, in Red Dragon. Oh, they communicate. Yeah, they communicate through personal ads. Mm. That is directly out of Red Dragon, wow. and that, that's one of those things that as soon as I saw that, I was like, "That is he." There's no way he wasn't like. That's how Red Influence. Dragon does it. Yeah, no way. He's just like perfect. Like, wow, I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. So um, they ask he, you know, and they respond saying like, "No, <laughs> there's no way we can trace a floppy yeah. disk and whatnot." And so they go on, you know, again to further investigate this uh, to see who dropped that into the truck. Uh, So the surveillance footage was really grainy. They couldn't make out the man that dumped it into the truck, but they were able to make out that the person was driving a black Jeep Cherokee. And from that, you know, they they started to build a profile of who BTK, BTK was. So on January 25th, 2005, a postcard was sent to Cake TV, uh, which, you know, led them to another cereal box of Post Toasties, again, uh, configured to read BTK. Uh, it was filled with jewelry and trinkets and driver's license and uh, more biographical details for his upcoming biography uh, that BTK was writing called the BTK Files. Uh, February 3rd, 2005, uh, he sent a letter thanking Cake TV for their prompt responses. Uh, but then February 16th, 2005, uh, he makes good on his request and sends uh, Cake or Fox affiliate KSAS TV a floppy disk. Um, which immediately gets, you know, turned over to the police. And uh, as well as, you know, he sends like a gold necklace and um, a copy of a book called The Rules of Prey, which is a book about a serial killer. Uh, But the police, they take the floppy disk and, you know, it has this big long letter on it and whatnot. Uh, But they start to analyze, again, from uh, the hot dog squad. They're training from, you know, their (laughs) hot dog squad days. Uh, they start to anal- analyze it and find actual metadata on the disk and show a deleted M- Microsoft Word doc uh, that still had some of 
the information of where this disc came from. Now, they were able to find that the disc actually was last edited at a computer named Christ Lutheran Church and was last modified by a user named Dennis. Now, a quick Google search of Christ Lutheran Church in Wichita, Kansas, showed that a Dennis Raider was actually president of the congregation yeah. council. It was on the main webpage. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it only took them a couple of minutes to put that together. Yeah. And uh, so with that said, what they did is they pulled up, they were able to pull up his address, and they drove by Dennis's house, and they found the black Jeep Cherokee. Now, you would think with all of this said, they're like, they got their guy, right? But they know they're like, hey, this is some serious shit. This isn't him just selling weed on the corner and we can just bust him with this information or whatever, right? So they need like an actual smoking gun or some kind of DNA that will pinpoint him as the fucking killer. So (laughs) February 25th, police, and I thought this was disgusting, but genius at the same time. Uh, February 25th, 2005, police actually get a search warrant for Dennis Rader's daughter's pap smear Mm -hmm. from the Kansas State University Medical Facility, tested the DNA match. They must have fucking had This is where the Ghostbusters, that was the big thing that they contributed to was like in that DNA, but. Yeah. Yeah. And they must have had all hands on deck like this was the COVID-19 vaccine and shit Uh Uh, because uh, three days later, they were able to find a familial match uh, from under Vicky Weggerly's fingernails. Remember, she scratched him and you know had all sorts of skin under her fingernails, and were able to arrest him based upon a familial match to you know his daughter Carrie Raider, uh, and they were actually able to arrest him coming home from his lunch break. Right, so uh, what a coincidence on that. And when they placed the handcuffs on um, Dennis Raider, they asked him, "Do you have any idea why we're arresting you?" And he has this famous quote saying, "Oh." I have a suspicion why. Yeah, pretty pretty creepy, pretty creepy guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's up there with uh, I think the the son of Sam guy when he got arrested, he just said, "What took you guys so long?" Wow, I and didn't it's know like that. even more like <laughs> badass. Where it's like, damn, dude, like he's it's up there. It's up there with one of those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, he's actually charged with 10 counts of first-degree murder. Actually, it was nine counts. I have to correct you know, uh, the Wikipedia on that. It was actually nine counts. It didn't actually go to 10 counts until they actually interview uh, the daughter. You know, The FBI interviews the daughter, and the daughter remembers like, oh, I think he might have murdered our, our neighbor, Marine, because she, she came up missing, and she was strangled. And when I'm doing the timeline in my head, he was gone from our house. So you guys probably want to look into that as well. So later, you know, within a couple of days, yeah. they were able to pinpoint like, oh, okay, this was um, also BTK. Um, May 3rd, he actually, or yeah, so May 3rd, he enters a not guilty plea. But then after a while, uh, he actually changes his plea to guilty um, and... This is where when you look up YouTube clips of Dennis Rader, uh, he tells in detail all 10 murders. And this is where I'm getting most of my information from is from his court confession Mm -hmm. where, I mean, you can look it up on Murderpedia or YouTube, uh, but he describes like kind of like in cold, callous detail exactly how he went into these people, how these people's houses, what he did to their body and what he did afterward, how it made him feel and it's so hollow and so cold 
and it's just so matter of fact. It's almost like somebody reading from an algebra book, if you will. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. He basically becomes an open book at this point, not denying anything. He's just let, here's how it happened. Here's every crime. Here's you know why this this is and this happened. Like you're right, he, he doesn't hold back, and then. Even in the uh, like the video, like the courtroom video stuff, like he's just very like nonchalant, like ah, it's fine, like whatever. Yeah, like he even like sighs at one point, like it's just like, oh, I have to explain this to you guys, kind of thing. Like even when he was talking about, uh, you know, one of the ladies' brother, like, oh, if I would have had my murder kit, like he wouldn't have gone away. The guy that got like, shot in his face and whatnot. Yeah. Like just like little things like that where it's just, it's super creepy. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think episode one, we established this guy's a fucking monster, but yeah, he, he, he just kind of proves that like his, his, his body language, who he is, like there's no remorse. Like you look at back at a Jeffrey Dahmer and like a Jeffrey Dahmer, like, I don't know, man. I feel like Jeffrey Dahmer, yeah, he maybe had, like, abuse as a child. But maybe if he grew up in, like, today's America, like, he might have just been hanging out at gay clubs, like, fucking hooking up with gay dudes. It's like, no no big deal, you know? He would have had, like, a thousand Instagram followers. Like, <laughs> this guy, this is just, like, there's no way around it. He would have been a serial killer regardless. No yeah. Like, he's just killer like and he was obsessed with serial killers like you know they found book again like that book that he sent you know the tv station yeah it was a book about a serial killer so he was obsessed with you know ted from the west coast the jack the rippers and whatnot so like and he properly educated himself on criminology you know actually gave himself you know found jobs that helped suffice you know he wasn't working in a chocolate factory like fucking jeffrey dahmer like he actually had like jobs that would aid in his addiction uh, eventually he was sentenced to 10, co- 10 consecutive life sentences. And the only reason why he didn't get the death penalty is because Kansas reinstated the death penalty in 1994 and none of his murders that they were able to uh, convict him of happened after 1994. So he gets 10 consecutive life sentences with a minimum of 175 years. Uh, a Massachusetts psychologist, Robert Mendoza, actually does a psychological analysis on him and the fucking what he puts down is is that he suffers from narcissistic, antisocial, and obsessive compulsive personality disorders. He has a grandiose sense of self uh, and a need for special treatment and attention and admiration. Uh, he has a love for rigid order and structure, and has a total lack of empathy. Mm, I believe it. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's hard to argue against that one. Yeah, but like, yeah, I mean, it it pretty much fits fits his profile perfectly. Like, um, I I think at this point, um, you know, his daughter kind of becomes a, another central figure in this whole thing because one, you know, the the legality of like getting her DNA from the Pat smear becomes like a big point of emphasis. I I I've heard a lot of like. Like uh, YouTube, like like sixty minutes or type of things or whatever, and they kind of brush it off like it was no big deal, but it was actually a pretty big deal, like l- legally wise, like you know whether that was okay to do or not. They did it, and, it, and it's not a big deal now because for the greater good, kind yeah, of thing, yeah. So it, it was done, 
But then also the daughter has become pretty outspoken about like how dramatically this like destroyed their lives. And, and she is another, like family is like another victim of, of his crimes too. Like, like they were completely unaware of this. He was hiding it. He was definitely a wolf in sheep's clothing. He was great way to put it. Yeah. Like he was just, he, he was just, he destroyed his family. Like in the interview that she does, I think it's another one with like 60 minutes where they're literally just walking down the neighborhood. And she talks about like, I envisioned uh, my family, like coming here, bringing my kids here to like grandma and grandpa's house for Thanksgiving dinner. And like, and doing this. And like, now it's like a house that's going to be demolished. And I think at that point it had already been yeah. demolished because like they didn't, the neighborhood didn't want anything to do with that house. Like it was, you can't sell that house. Yeah. It was just I like, mean, this, maybe today you could some fucking Zach Baggins motherfucker would have bought it. But yeah. Like, but yeah, like, yeah, she, she does mention that, the brother will not communicate about this whatsoever. Uh, the wife, uh, she gets immediate emergency divorce uh, and access to all of the assets. You know, you know, mm-hmm. usually in a divorce, you know, you got to split all the assets or whatever. But she gets total access to that as she rightfully should. Uh, but then it fucks her life up as well. Um, she was she did a a podcast with some uh, Fox News anchor, uh, and she was saying like how she was suicidal for many years. And I, I can only imagine the emotional toll that took Absolutely, on her. Yeah. And she said that, you know, finally, you know, when she was able to finish the grieving process because they related to losing a family member through death. That's what the mother said. She said that, you know, oh, this person is still here. And she, I guess she has a really strong faith, too, because she goes, I, you know, I had to forgive him for that because he did give me a good childhood. But at the same time, like he is this monster. So, you know. She, I guess she battled with it. She still keeps in communication with her father, but then also is a humongous advocate for both the families and anybody else that who has gone through this. So, like, she to find some kind of silver lining, Carrie Raider, which she's carried something else now. Uh, she, you know, t- totally becomes, you know, she can't undo what her father did, but totally like takes it in a different direction than her father did. Yeah, no, that it, it's rough. You can't help but to like feel bad for the family. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there's no way you come back from that and just, like, live a normal life. Like, that's the dude that raised you. That's the person you were married to. And, like, that person was a serial killer. And, and there's, you know, they I'm sure they blame themselves. I could t- definitely see how the mom would go through, uh, uh, the wife would go through, uh, you know, a long stint of depression. Like, that's, yeah. that's hard to go through. Like, I can't imagine, like, realizing a parent was a serial killer or something like that. Like, that's rough that would destroy me <laughs> yeah that, that's rough that's really rough like you know i don't know that that that, that to me was like the cherry on top mm-hmm. once you watch all his interviews and see how cold he is and i don't i think his daughter talks about how she doesn't talk to him anymore like it's done like there's no communication She's changed her stance on it now but like i mean I mean, that's, I mean, that's her decision kind of thing, you know, like I can respect it either way, but I mean, I could see how she could go in either direction on that, but yeah, I mean, I mean, he is serving hard times, solitary confinement. Uh, he's only allowed to take a shower every three days, which is <laughs> worse than death. Yeah. Uh, that's a liquid death, if you will. Um, and he gets like one hour of exercise a week, which again, would be another fucking death for me. Um, but yeah, like he, he's. 70 he's living his life like he's he's still alive uh but he's living in hell right now yeah 
No, absolutely. I mean, that they're not making it easy on them. No, as they shouldn't. Yeah. And um, I'm sure, I don't know if they, I assume he would have to be in like solitary confinement at all time. Like, mm-hmm. because dudes like that, like, you know, prisoners like have a hit on it. Cause then oh. if you kill him, you're the dude that killed BTK. You're the deal. Not only that, I mean, he masturbated on a child's you know, limbs like yeah. that, that does not go over well in prison at all. Yeah. No. Amongst other things that he did, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, Art, you got anything else? No, that's it. This guy was brutal. He was a brutal killer. Pretty disgusting guy. I recommend everybody go watch Red Dragon. It's a better version of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Uh, but um, yeah, with that said, yeah, I got to say, it's never easy covering these serial killer topics. I mean, I think we've done Richard Ramirez in full depth. That one was rough. Jeffrey Dahmer was super rough. Yeah. Now BTK. Zodiac wasn't so rough because I, I don't he know. He killed adults, and he didn't even kill that many people. Yeah. It was I mostly mean, like show. He was a showman. Yeah. <laughs> he's more of an artist, I guess you could say. <laughs> uh, Jack the Ripper. But it's never easy covering these things, and this one was one of the most like, oh, wow, this this one was a brutal one to research, yeah. and I'm glad we're done with this to put a knot on, tie a bow on this one. Uh, but BTK, I know a lot of people like to talk shit about him. Like, oh, he doesn't, like, like they rank him. Like, he, he's no Jeffrey Dahmer or whatever. Yeah. He's like the Daniel Tosh of serial killers or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, no, dude, this dude is, is still a monster nonetheless. So, oh, big monster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's not there's, a, there's no way to, like, really rank him. Like, I don't even know what you're ranking, like, how much you like him, but, like, but uh I guess on a hotness scale, like I mean he's definitely not Richard Ramirez or Jeffrey Dahmer hot. I guess you know? if you're saying like which one is more interesting, if you're if you're like ranking it. I've always thought Zodiac, even though he's never caught, they didn't really kill a lot of people, but like the mystery of a Zodiac has always been really intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. Um This guy is up there though. Like this guy like He would he would Mike Kendrick Zabrowski said, like, he was the perfect serial killer up until his ego got in the way. Yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. Those, that last couple, the last couple of years, 2005 to, you know, 2007 or whatever, like, his ego was, like, definitely in the way and, and, and full display in the courtroom as well. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing that would be really hard for me as, a, like, a, a child or something like that. Like, if my, my parent were not only to go to court, but, like, at least with, with, with um with like Jeffrey Dahmer, like the dude was just like and I really fucked up. Like this is like I wanted to stop, I couldn't stop, I didn't know what I was doing, like you know, tries to join the Church of Christ or whatever, like the Southern Baptist Church of Christ at the end, you know, he gets baptized, like you know, like however you want to feel, like I do think that there was like a a little bit of real true remorse coming from Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't oh, think there's any I don't think there's any of that coming from BTK. Like BTK 100%. is just like this is this is what happened. Like even his apology where he was crying just felt like, you know, like a, the prosecutor said it best, like his Academy Award winning Oscar speech. Like it was almost tears of yeah. joy kind of thing, which is yeah. which is sick, but with that said, if you guys have anything to say about BTK or if you know any other murders that he might have done or whatever, what have you, whatnot, guys, hit us up on all the social medias at Art and Jacob Do America on all the social medias except for Twitter. We are at Art and Jacob Do A1. It's goddamn son. That's just sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. That's just how a steak is done. Uh, if you want to help support this podcast, I highly recommend hanging on over to the Patreon over at patreon.com slash Art and Jacob Do America where every single week we put together a bonus episode 
for your listening pleasure. So donate $1, donate $2, donate $3, 5 15 however much you want to do to help this podcast going. Uh, but you get a bonus episode, which nine times out of ten are better than the actual episode that you're hearing for free. So if you like us here, you'll love us over there. If you want to support us in any other way, guys, I highly recommend heading on over to uh, the official website at rnjacobdoamerica.com. Follow the merch links where we currently have four different designs up for your purchasing pleasure uh so buy that and it's not so much to help us monetarily as we probably get you know a few cents for every purchase made over there uh but it goes a long way in helping advertise this podcast so if you're in wichita and you're doing the btk tour or you know doing anything out in this world or what have you people will see the orange jacob do america podcast t-shirt download these episodes and make our podcast grow which helps us tremendously I know people say like you know write you know a review and you know give us a five star rating. Rate or and review. Yeah, I mean I don't know how that helps, but I do know like just being out in the wild with merchandise, you know, you know promoting the podcast that does help us. So do all those things too, I guess. Whatever helps us, I guess. But if you want to hear other great podcasts to do a better job of promoting, guys, I highly recommend heading on over to Podbilly.com. Uh, check out our boys over at the world famous Sofa King Podcast as well as. Hillbilly Horror Stories and Robots for Eyes. But with that said, guys, I am definitely done with this topic. <laughs> yeah. BTK, you're fired. Uh, but with that said, Art, <laughs> goodbye. Good night. Good night. Good night. Dennis Rader hardly fits the image of the vicious serial killer. He was working in Park City as basically a dog catcher, a code enforcement officer. He was just the guy next door, lived a normal life in a normal neighborhood, had children, had a wife. And that was the most difficult part of all for everybody to accept, that he was a normal guy doing monstrous things. The task force is ready to take Raider down but he might suspect they have his DNA. So before they make a move, investigators want to prove Raider is BTK without tipping him off. We wanted to be sure. The one way we could do that is to get his DNA. We knew that if we asked him directly, he would turn us down. Following him and trying to get a DNA sample that way would be very difficult. But DNA crosses generations. If Raider is a father, his offspring have his DNA. So we did a research on his family, found out that he had two children. One of those children was a 24-year-old daughter, and we were able to obtain by court order a biological sample that she had from her gynecologist. Familial DNA testing is often used in court cases on immigration status and paternity. Now it might help capture a monster. You get half your DNA from your mom and the other half from your dad. And because of that, we can then look at a sample that we think is a suspected offspring to another sample and do a comparison. A warrant clears the way for police to obtain the daughter's pap smear. And the sample goes to the Kansas Bureau of Investigation Forensic Lab. There were a significant shift in the priority of doing samples when we received that particular uh, pap smear slide. We stayed with it until we were done with it. The results are undeniable. 
the father of that pap smear was the individual who left that DNA at the crime scene. And that is Dennis Rader. It's like this, then who gives a fuck about those? So just chill to the next episode.